Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That Brooklyn Film Show. And this week we'll be talking about the director, animator, screenwriter, and producer Henry Selick. Henry Selick is most well known for his uh, stop motion animation films such as The Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach, Coraline, and Wendell and Wild. He studied at the program in experimental action at the California Institute of Arts under the guidance of Jules Engel, and he is also known for his collaborations with the voice actor and artist. So Jabari, over this episode, we'll be talking about a little bit about um, Henry or a lot about Henry Selick's movies. Um, Also, we'll we can get a little bit into stop motion animation and I guess the differences between that and regular animation. And if those like evoke any different sorts of feelings in you watching those movies as opposed to uh, regular animation. But before we go into that. Do you have any like upfront thoughts before we dive into any of the movies? Yeah, um, Henry Selick is a, a favorite of mine because the movies that he makes are always really compelling. Um, quick question: Is Henry Selick associated with Lakai in any way? Because I know they kind of make very similar works. Has Lakai made any of his films? Yeah, so Lakai made Coraline. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, because I know that Lakai does um is probably one of the bigger stop motion animation production companies right now so i was wondering that because they also did movies like kubo and two strings and um there was another one that's not coming to paranorman yeah, and then Paranorman. one about bigfoot yeah, yeah yeah so i was just wondering that but yeah i love henry Selick's work going back to um a nightmare before christmas which is probably the first film of his i've seen um Coraline is one of my favorites so you know, this was an easier episode to do because when you enjoy the movies and you know what you're getting into, it's kind of really easy to watch. We only had to watch one new film, which we'll talk about. But yeah, overall, he's one of my favorites. I love his work. Um, I love stop motion in general because it's different. In the same way, you might love an animated film from a, um, like an anime film from a more American style cartoon film from, say, a South Park style cardboard cutout like every kind of different animation style has its own unique flavor so he's probably the king of stop-motion animation and putting his vision into that so it was a fun one yeah i agree i think i enjoyed watching all of these films um the only one that was new to me again also was um wendell and wild but nightmare before christmas and Coraline i have seen before um i think the first film of his i actually saw was james and the giant peach i like vaguely remember watching it as a kid i don't really remember watching the nightmare before christmas until i was older but i remember watching maybe in like virginia beach or something watching um james and the giant peach so that's kind of like the first movie of his i remember but i did remember it being that one's a little weird but like a unique kind of style and then when Coraline came out i remember i was like oh yeah this is a good movie but it's also very creepy and we'll get into that once we get into the films that's kind of like a through line in all three of these films um, is that like creepiness, but also there's kind of like a message under it as well. Um, and I enjoy, yeah, I enjoy the stop motion animation. Every, I feel like every time I see it, I just think about how, I mean, every film takes a lot of work, but I just think about the people who have to like move the characters like piece by piece and like little by little. And then it ends up being like this fluid, motion film that you get and I think it's just such a cool thing to do because you think of another kind of maybe stop motion animation 
would be like the Fantastic Mr. Fox or um, what's the one with the dog and the guy? Oh, Wallace and Gromit? Wallace and Gromit. Uh, so thinking about those where it's kind of like a very different style of stop motion animation, yeah. but it's still like thinking about the work that goes into it is very cool. And it's similar to how you have different styles of regular animation. You can have different styles of stop motion animation just based off of the design of the characters and all of those different things. Um, even the Nightmare Before Christmas is a little bit different in style. You could say that style is somewhat more similar to the Corpse Bride or something, which we'll get into because it has a lot of timber in, in it which yep. Coraline might be a little bit more similar to Wendell and Wilde than it is to The Nightmare Before Christmas in terms of the animation style. Yep. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, they definitely have their... That's where the, the, the unique visual style comes in versus the art style of stop-motion animation where each one has their own flavor. Um, mm -hmm. Remember we did a movie a while back where everyone looked the same because he was just kind of seeing every person as the same person? That yeah. was stop-motion animation as well, but it was more realistic than the movies we're talking about today, which have more of a haunting feel than anything. So, yeah, I think the um, the director's vision matters a lot. I would love to see more directors do stop-motion animation because it feels very niche still. Um, you know, we get a ton of movies like the Disney Pixar look, which is 3D CGI animation, but we don't get a ton of stop-motion animation anymore. So I would love to see more directors put their unique vision into stop motion animation because of the fact that it um it's so unique but it requires so much work i get why we don't get a lot of it like the amount it of takes work years to it yeah it takes years to make yeah i mean that's like with every animation film as well animates like cgi animation takes a long time if it's well done you know some of the ones that netflix and stuff pushes out it's probably a shorter time frame because they're not really worried too much about that but um something like again back to the fantastic Mr. Fox, although we're not talking about Wes Anderson this episode, you know that it's a Wes Anderson movie, although it's not live action because he keeps a lot of the Wes Anderson-isms inside of the stop motion. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with the movie you were talking about. Yeah, so watching something like Anomalies to the movie you had mentioned earlier, you can tell that like that's a Charlie Kaufman work. You can tell it's similar in ideas to say Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or being John Malkovich. You can see in the work that the director had a vision, although it's a different style of movie. So because although you're not getting like the live action people, it is more realistic in some ways. Obviously you don't see people that look the same all the time and probably doing that in a stop motion way made it a little bit easier, but you can see the ideas that flow through from that director's vision, even translating from a live action to like a stop motion animation style. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. So I definitely look forward to, um, getting into the film because of the style aspect, I think is what I appreciate the most about them. And, you know, breaking down what makes each style unique. Um, I still think the story aspects are really important to these kind of films, but I think the drawing part is how good they look stylistically because they vary so much. Like when you get a Disney animated film, Disney Pixar, you kind of know what the look is going to be. Like they kind of have a, 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 a look that is consistent throughout all the films. Versus these films, Harold Norman looks different than Coraline, looks different than... Um, I, could say, I would say, though, you have, like, Kubo kind of looks similar to Paranorman, looks similar to Coraline. In terms of just, like, how the... Like, not the aesthetic of the movie, but, like, how the claymation is made, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think Coraline looks similar to, like, again, like a Wallace and Gromit. 
those claymations look different. I feel like the and uh, the or the claymation of these movies are more in line with one another, and you can kind of tell that they came from the same studio a little bit more than you could say a movie that didn't come from that specific studio. But then you also get the through line where I was like watching Wendell and Wilde, and I thought it looked a little bit different than Coraline, but not so much that I couldn't tell it was the same person involved behind the scenes, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think that they look different artistically, but because these films all... There's like a small community of people that do stop-motion animation, so they probably have the same techniques that kind of make like the movement and the the um, smaller details somewhat similar. So I definitely kind of get what you're saying. I just think that like the... Um, particular artworks and the way the characters faces are their you know shapes that are in the different characters and stuff are very different from film to film which is what i like most about this particular genre Mm -hmm. all right with that let's get into our first film which again i feel like this is the most different of the three films like between one another um and that's the nightmare before christmas which was also called timber is the nightmare before christmas which i'm bringing up because henry selick was like in the news literally i think pretty recently for saying that he doesn't get enough credit for the night before yeah, Christmas because it's called, yeah, you would think I, for the longest time I thought Temper directed the night before Christmas because he's so closely associated with it. And I think it was his idea, but at the same time, there was a different director. There was a different screenwriter that wasn't Timber in. No, it was um, Coraline Thompson. So that's, I'll go through that now. Um, yeah, so The Nightmare Before Christmas, which came out in 1993, was written by Coraline Thompson and directed by Henry Selick. And the film follows the misadventures of Jack Skellington, Halloween Town's beloved Pumpkin King, who has become bored with the same annual routine of frightening people in the real world. When Jack accidentally stumbles upon Christmas Town, all the bright colors and the warm spirit, he gets a new lease on life. He plots to bring Christmas under his control by kidnapping Santa Claus and taking over the role. But soon Jack discovers his best laid plan of mice and skeleton men can go seriously awry. So this movie has 95% on Rotten Tomatoes and yeah, it's pretty popular. And before we get into it, is this a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? Um, you know, I still, I still seem to lean... I don't know. I think I lean more Christmas to Halloween. I don't know. It's tough. Like the 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 climax of the film often takes place during Christmas, mm-hmm. where he's delivering the gifts and you know making all the kids happy. But the town itself is in constant Halloween mode. So I think that it's a Christmas film because it's about breaking out of Halloween and you know seeing that there's more out there. Like the final parts of the film are all Christmas. They bring Christmas to Halloween Town. They celebrate Christmas in their own way versus it just only being about Halloween. So I think that because it leads into Christmas more, I consider it more of a Christmas film. Okay. I think in our episode last year where we did Christmas movies, we talked about what was considered a Christmas movie and Christmas had to be a big plot point, I think, yeah, of the movie. So I, I see how you can get to a Christmas movie from that. I think you were very like adamant about that because you didn't like Love Actually because you didn't feel like it was Christmassy enough. Oh, okay. Um... But I, mm, I think I, I think I would lean more towards Christmas movie. I think people would say I can see, obviously see why people would say a Halloween movie. Again, it takes place in Halloween Town. You have all these 
Halloween-ish creatures, you know, um, the first song is literally like, this is Halloween. <laughs> so I can see why, but the it does seem like the whole spirit of it is kind of what is Christmas. And then also um, the fact that you kind of can't necessarily change. I don't know. It's kind of like he couldn't change his like role in life, but at the same time, he still wanted to discover something new. It's kind of, I was trying to like find the message. Maybe there wasn't supposed to be like a I big deep message behind it. Discovery while also maintaining who you are and not mm-hmm. ever. So, what did they say? That song from that show, as told by Ginger. Um, Someone once oh, told me the grass yeah, is much greener. It's on the other side. Like, it's like the grass is not always greener on the other side. Lean closer to the mic because you're. Like sound thing is like in the green, early green. Oh, that's fine. I can always raise it. But um, okay. I think that um, where was I? The grass is much greener. Someone once told me. I think that the primary story of it, the primary themes of the story, is to, you know, you can appreciate who you are, where you come from, while at the same time learning more about new ideas. I think Jack was a very um, he was the king of Halloween, like. No one Halloween better than Jack Halloween. And because of that, he almost needed an escape from Halloween to see what else is out there because it was just Halloween all the time. And I think because the film comes back, it comes back around to essentially him embracing who he is, you know, appreciating what he's good at and stuff, but while also being able to um, accept and understand the importance of Christmas, which is, I think of like something like other cultures or whatever you want to say it as at the same time. It's like if someone's like from Texas is like, you know, these Mexicans are ruining my state. And then, you know, <laughs> they go up and they get stuck in Mexico for a year and they're like, wow, the culture is really amazing here. Like maybe I can appreciate my own roots while also, you know, understanding that other cultures around the world are beautiful. So I think, you know, Christmas town was kind of different than Halloween town in a way. And then you had a little bit more of the people like, um, what was his name again? Oogie Boogie? Mm-hmm. They were just more like the traditionalists, like, you know, just toxic. I like Oogie Yeah, Boogie. I like his song, though. Yeah, I love Oogie Boogie. He was one of my favorite characters with his country accent. Yeah. As soon as I heard him the first time, I was like, I know it's a black man singing that song. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it is. He's voiced by a black man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, oh, I think... His whole, Oogie Boogie's whole shtick was kind of like, wasn't like voodoo, not voodoo, but like that Louisiana kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, Whenever I see or hear Oogie Boogie or, yeah, his song reminds me, I don't know if you remember Princess and the Frog, but yeah. it reminds me very much of the villain song in Princess and the Frog, which obviously was very heavily tied to like voodoo yeah. in that. Um. But I agree. I think it's kind of like the fact that I think things can get stagnant and he he was tired of kind of being the king of Halloween and every year, like, oh, can you imagine just like your whole life, you're preparing for one day, but it's the same, essentially the same day every year and every day up till that day, you're just preparing for that day and then you do it and it's like, okay, cool, we did it. Now let's do that all over again. So I think he was just like, this is stagnant. I need something different. And then he discovered Christmas. But he didn't think about the fact that, oh, although I like this Christmas, maybe it's not necessarily my role to, you know, do this job. Like Santa had the job for a reason. And it was kind of like, me, what can I do to bring Christmas 
to Halloween Town as opposed to how can I bring Halloween Town to Christmas almost? Because he like brought all the toys and stuff from Halloween Town, which I don't think he realized is scary. He was kind of like, oh, this is cool. You know, I'm giving a kid like a worm that's going to swallow it. That's what we do in Halloween Town. But in Christmas Town, they're like, we, we don't like this. This is not fun. Um, so he kind of realized, yeah, like Santa is the right man for this job. But at the same time, I do want to still discover new wonders. and I want to discover the world, which is why at the end, um santa like left them with the gift of snow or whatever just like something new because you've been doing the same thing your entire life but also like you can't just take over for someone else and expect it to be like perfect or whatever um yeah unrealistic expectations and you try to go too far to the other side of like switching up what he wanted to be or who he was he completely lost himself almost in trying to kind of like rediscover himself you mean Mr. Sandy Claus? Yeah, Mr. Sandy Claus. Yeah. And those kids were terrible. I'm like, dang. I mean, they're kids that grew up in Halloween Town. Like, I'm not even... That's true. That's, you know, most well-behaved kids. But yeah, no. Um, also, I feel like that there's a, a story of, like, maybe if someone keeps poisoning you, don't keep drinking the food or eating the food that they give you. Oh, because yeah. that Frankenstein's bride, Sally, um, she just kept poisoning her maker, and he kept doing the same thing i'm like sir she's poisoning you about how many times now and you're still eating her food and drinking the tea that she gives you i don't understand i was never really the biggest fan of sally but one thing i do like about the film because we're talking about art styles is how unique there's no film that looks like a nightmare before christmas i guess you could say maybe the corpse bride but outside of those two films nightmare before christmas has some of the most iconic character designs in the world like to to, to the point where it's almost annoying to see people with Jack Skellington paraphernalia, but mm-hmm. I just love the design of people like Jack Skellington, Oogie Boogie, the mayor with his double-sided face, the little kids, um, you know, the ghost dog slash reindeer. Even um, Sandy Claus was kind of, you know, he was more uniquely designed than Sandy Claus than most. I keep saying Sandy Claus. Who's Sandy Claus? Who's Santa, Santa Claus? Yeah, Santa Claus in most fictions so i just mm-hmm. love the, the art style and design of the movie and even them going to um christmas town it completely changed the vibe but it still was a little bit creepy in a way like it it's it, they maintained the creepiness no matter where they went and i think that's just something that henry Selick is really good at because yeah when like you said he was talking about how um he doesn't get enough credit for this film when he's the literal director and the visionary behind it but Tim Burton is a producer. He helped come up with the ideas and the um, and the 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 character designs and stuff like that. Um, it actually reminds me of this video game I'm playing. I've been playing called Elden Ring, where George R. R. Martin was one of the, some of the character designers on the game. He helped come up with the characters and the lore. But on the game, it says um, Hideki Miyazaki's Elden Ring. So I think that it might be. I think that. How um, a Nightmare Before Christmas might be perceived different if it was called Henry Selick's A Nightmare Before Christmas. And another film we're going to talk about later, I realized that a lot of people are also having another misconception about who the creator is because of the fact that it has a big name producer behind it. So Henry Selick's very unique art style, I think, was comes across in this film. And then it becomes like not, not saying that everything, all his art style look the same. I think they look very different. I was saying that earlier. But he has a, a good a good a good artistic eye for something that is both 
creepy, but could absorb you in and make you interested in the world. It's not like you're turned off by how creepy a Christmas, I mean, um, Halloween Town is. You're kind of like, this place is creepy, but like, if I could spend a day here, I wouldn't mind it. Like, I wouldn't be, I mean, I wouldn't want to go there per se, but if you had to spend a single day there, you could like, you could see how you might enjoy yourself a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if I would want to go to Halloween Town, but I get what you're saying about the design and how it's kind of like, you can, it's enticing. So you can see, I can see how you would be like, I think I could spend a day there. It would be like an interesting place, you know, to be, I don't know if I would want to, but um, I can see that. And I do think it's like an interesting design style. And I do think because it has a big name producer behind it, you never really get the fact that like, Henry Selleck was the director of it and he doesn't get enough credit for making the movie what it was, you know? Um, you always just hear, obviously, Tim Burton's name associated with yep. A Nightmare Before Christmas. But, or The Nightmare Before Christmas. But let's move on. Speaking of, you know, worlds and places that suck you in and you might be there, you might be enticed to stay. Let's get into our next movie, which is Coraline. Um, Coraline came out in 2009 it was written and directed by Henry Selleck, and it is based off of a children's book of the same name by Neil Gaiman. And the synopsis is, while exploring her home, a girl named Coraline discovers a secret door, behind which lies an alternate world that closely mirrors her own, but in many ways is better. She rejoices in her discovery until other mother and the rest of her parallel family try to keep her there forever. Coraline must use all her resources and bravery to make it back to her own family and life. So I think this is probably my favorite, favorite, favorite Henry Selleck movie. Um, I remember when Coraline came out, it must've been like 13, 14. And I was like, this is kind of scary. And I feel like I was too old for it to be a little scary, but this is a very creepy movie. Um, and it's also a very well done movie. It kind of like, you can see how Coraline is sucked in by this other world until tables start to turn. And it's kind of like, yeah, everything about that world, something's like just seems slightly off. Obviously, the button eyes are like the first thing that seems slightly off, but something about it just doesn't seem quite right. But you can see how someone who's kind of being a little bit neglected in this move from like her hometown to this new place is drawn in by this world where everything is seemingly, you know, brighter. She's getting like the food she wants. Her parents actually pay attention to her. Um, her neighbors aren't like, they're so weird, but they aren't as weird or their weirdness is actually like useful and kind of like entertaining as opposed to how it is in like the real world, you know? Yeah. No, I definitely agree. This is like my, um, so I have three favorite films off the top of my head, which are Mad Max, Fury Road, Mean Girls, and then the Coraline is probably three after that. Like this is one of my favorite movies ever, apparently, because, you know, it's top five. So I've seen this movie a million and a half times. And every time you watch it, I always feel like you get something new out of it. Um, I, I, one part I always struggle with, you're talking about the neighbors, is they were never my favorite group of people. They were just, they were very odd. Like, even to this day, <laughs> the way they're a little too weird. is just very creepy. Especially that one with the super long legs. It's mm -hmm. just, it's just Mr. Babinski. Yeah. But I think, um... Yeah, I think Coraline, you know, is one of the best films ever made. I just think the pacing and the, um, it's like, it's almost like a hypnotic film, if that makes sense. Like, as Coraline goes through her trances of 
like disappreciation, getting drawn in by the other world, the other mother and everything, you're kind of hypnotized as well based on how they pace the film, how they design the 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 cavity. You know, one thing I'm kind of tired about in films is always the the metaphorical birth canal that they always do in multiple movies where she has to crawl mm-hmm. and be reborn into another world. But they utilize that in this one and like that's the access to the world, the new world that she goes to. And as she goes through it, it's like a, a funky color scheme and all that other stuff. And you're hypnotized and you want to be like, I know you shouldn't go through here, but you want to see what's on the other side. And then as she's on the other side, she got a talking cat and everything is like, like different, but the same. And it reminds me of a, um, I, I think I've used this analogy before, but where they said if, um, if everything in your life was the same, except one thing would change slightly every day, at what point would you not realize, at what point would you notice a change, right? Like say that instead of you having a black mic there, your mic was white tomorrow. You might be like, that's weird. Like, would you automatically freak out? Probably not. And then the next day you like notice that like your um, TV is 57 inches instead of 55 inches. It might be like, that's weird. And Coraline just kind of reminds me of that, where it's like she steps into the middle of the world where it's like, Things are same enough where she's comfortable, but different enough, like you said, with the button eyes and the talking cat and the world looking a slightly, it's like, well, not slightly different, a bit different. That she's like, this is strange, but my world is already upside down so much that I'd rather be in a slightly funkier version of my world than where I am actually. Because, um, yeah, with everything going on her her real life, it's like, you know, father and mother aren't the most, um, you know, Attentive. Attentive to her. She's like in a, I don't, the kid with that turns his head sideways. Why be born? Why born? Actually, yeah. that was very rude of her at the very beginning of the movie. <laughs> like, why were you? I was like, dang, you just met yeah. this kid. I know he's a little annoying, but you don't gotta yeah, crack Corlan, on his name. Corlan is a little bit of a, a sassy girl. But yeah. So I think that um, part of the reason I love this film is just because of all, how all the unique elements come together. And it absorbs you in so much that by the time it's over, you're like, oh, wow, time flew by. I didn't realize I was watching this movie before. I mean, it's not like the longest film in the world, but an hour and a half, hour, 30, 45 minutes. And yeah, I just love the art style. I love everything about it. And it's one of my top three films ever. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think that what you said about like getting new things every time you watch it, I think this time I watched it is the first time I noticed that like, her regular mother had like bags under her eyes. So they like drew bags under her eyes to kind of emphasize how tired she is. So it's kind of like, maybe it's because I'm not a kid watching this anymore, a teenager watching this anymore. And I'm like older. I've seen it many times since then, but I'm like, I can also understand that the parents are probably tired from moving and they should have paid more attention to their child. But it's kind of like, they're going through also stressful period of their life. So you're kind of like seeing that obviously based off the way the dad looked, that was kind of very obvious from the very beginning. But the mom, I feel like it was like smaller things to show that like she was a little snappy with Coraline, but she was also tired because of the move and all of these other things going on. Um, I do think that I like how they slowly introduce the new characters into the other world. Um, so you didn't get all of them at once. I feel like, like you said, if she got like everyone at once, it would be overwhelming. So it's kind of like the other mother was spying on her. So she knew, okay, she likes why be born or why born, but she doesn't like the fact that he talks too much. So let's make him not talk. 
she wishes her dad was more attentive. So let's make him sing a song about Coraline, which I, I like that song. Um, or she like, again, with the neighbors, okay, they're fascinating, but they're not really doing what their career is supposed to be or whatever. So let's make the jumping mouse circus actually a mice circus, or let's make the um, ladies who stuff their dogs actually do acrobats as opposed to them just saying they were like acrobats back in the whatever this doesn't really have a time frame that you're supposed to know it's in but whatever time they were supposed to be acrobats so I feel like those were like the interesting things or the fact that like Coraline wanted gloves which is like a small thing but again her mom was probably like whatever I'm not gonna do these right now so then she goes to the other world and her other mother is like oh wait here's this fully new outfit like not even just gloves here's like a whole new outfit for you and then she's all excited so it's kind of like she's just being enticed more and more and to a certain point and then obviously with the whole button tries things like luckily she had enough like you know wherewithal to be like mm, sewing buttons into my eyes is I think where I draw the line versus the other kids who we don't know their situations but we could probably imagine that it was worse than Coraline's if they came to the conclusion that like yeah let me sew buttons into my eyes I feel like that's the point too where I would have been like I mean, I think as soon as I went in there and I saw a lady with button eyes, I would have left. But um, that's the point where she was kind of like, I can't do this anymore. And then I think the transformation of the other mother from what she was, like, you know, that kind, whatever, to that scary, you know, when she grows. I think that was such a well done scene where she's talking to her and you just kind of see that, like, she literally transforms. It's like, oh, yeah, this is this is well done. Or the. The first time she transformed, though, was when um, she was, like, trying to discipline Coraline. So it's kind of like, okay, you kind of seeing who she really is now. And, like, the cracks are starting to show. And I like that the, after the cracks started to show, when Coraline crawls back out of your, like they said, the metaphorical birth canal or whatever, it's no longer bright colors and all these things. It's, yeah. It has trash and it has all these things that if she had seen it for what it was initially, she would have never crawled through there. But yeah. because it was kind of like that enticing piece for her, she was like, okay, I'll do this. Because most people wouldn't just crawl through a weird thing in their wall. But if you're a kid and it looks enticing, then maybe you will. But once you see what it truly is, you're kind of like, oh, I, I get the real picture now. You know, I feel like that's kind of life too, where things look, again, the grass is greener on the other side. And so you realize, not really. It's a little funky over it's there too. It's a little grounding too. Things as more perfect than they actually are. So mm -hmm. for her going to the other world was like a moment of escape, a moment of, she was looking for an escape, a moment of escape from her real life. But then going back, when, like you said, when she sees the trash and how she's house is not perfect, it's like, oh, okay, this other world isn't the escape that I might have exactly been looking for. Maybe it was here all along, essentially. But um, you think that everything she went through was actually real? You know, I think I go back and forth um on that i think ooh hmm i think it probably was real only reason i say that is cuz you had like the rotten rotting vegetables and stuff i don't think it was all metaphorical i think it was probably real um especially cuz a grandmother of the other person was involved too and you had the doll that looked exactly like her her mom saw it I feel like there's no other way. You know, her mom didn't see the doll. I might be like, it wasn't real, but I think, yeah. I think it was more than just metaphorical. Yeah. Yeah, I go back and forth, too. Um, I don't think whether it's real or not is important because, you know, it's always just about visualizing a specific theme and story. 
But in regards to the lore, you know, like you said, there's aspects and elements that were shown to be real. But then I wonder if, like, those things were real in the real world that she just interpreted as X, Y, and Z in her head. That might have just, you know... It's like if, um, if, say, someone dreams that, like, you know, a dragon flies across the sky and causes rain, and then it starts raining heavily. You could be like, okay, it started raining heavily, and then your mind warped it into a dragon flying across the sky, or did a dragon really fly across the sky and make it rain, you know what I'm saying? So it's like you say mm-hmm. some rotten vegetables and whatnot, it's like, maybe that stuff happened naturally, and then her childish explanation in her head was, oh, this is cool. Oh, my parents disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. say that again? So, yeah, all my parents disappeared. That's why she, that's what she said the cause was, although it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that regardless, it's not really like the most important thing to break down. Because you know how you get all these theories and stuff in movies about, is this real? Is that real? Blah, blah, blah. It's a fun mind exercise. I don't think it's important to the experience on whether or not it was real or not because it's always just about the themes and how they're interpreted in the viewer's head yeah that's why i'm like it's real i don't feel like thinking about the conspiracy corner and all that stuff it's real um if it's not real that's fine too if it's supposed to be a metaphor but i think it's just supposed to be a fantasy movie and these things actually happen you know um but any final thoughts on Coraline before we move on to our final movie I'm actually just reading now about Coraline. It says in the book, Coraline never escaped from the other world and returned to her own world. I didn't know it was a book. Yeah, I said that at the beginning. It was based off a book by um, Neil Gaiman. No, no, I said before, like, you know, today I didn't know. Oh, before, okay. Yeah. So now I want to read the book. But yeah, so, um, yeah, Coraline's one of my favorite movies ever. I think everyone should see it. I think it's an easy watch. Um, It's a perfect movie to, like, for kids and adults, it's going to be slightly creepy for kids. Like, I think what it does differently than most horror films... Not horror films. I don't... I mean, it has a lot of horror elements. So I don't know if I would consider it a horror film, but... It's like a, a, a Jeeve horror film. That it, um... It teaches a good story. I think it's a really unique world. But at the same time, adults will enjoy the more deeper messages behind it. And I think everyone can get a lot of something from it. And unrelated, I think that um, we were talking about James and the Giant Peach. He did that as well, right? Mm-hmm. I seen that movie one time in my life because I remember I saw it as a kid and I was just way too creeped out. Like it was so weird. Inside Out core memory, where it's like um, that movie stuck in my psycho- my psyche forever. I hated that film when I first saw it because I was just creeped out for like years. Yeah, I. And it's I don't remember where I saw it. I remember seeing it, but I don't think I liked it either. Yeah, if a six-year-old saw Coraline, it might. You know, they might be a little bit traumatized, but... Yeah, Coraline is... Again, I was, like, 13 or 14 when it came out, and I was creeped out by it. Also, I was very scared of scary movies as a kid, though, so... Yeah. I, uh... Maybe I'm not the best judge of it, but I think it's, like, the whole escape thing where, she, like, she's trying to get through the thing and the other mother turns into the spider. Oh, yeah. My heart's just racing. Cool. I'm like, oh, my God. Please get out. Um, but they did, like, the... I think they did it well enough where I... Kids can still watch it, obviously, because it's supposed to be a kids' movie. But I can see a kid being like, "It's a little, little scary for me," you know. Yeah. Um, but the kids can still get a lot out of it. 
All right, so let's go into our last movie, which is Wendelin Wilde, which was written, um, directed by Henry Selig. And the synopsis is, two scheming demons strike a deal with a punk rock loving teen so they can leave, leave the underworld and live out their dreams in the land of the living. Um, so Jabari, what are your initial thoughts on Wendelin Wilde? Um... Wendell Wild was, I would say, great art style, um, decent characters, but the plot was all over the place. Like, I did not enjoy the plot that much. Just because, There was too many elements going on at one time that didn't feel cohesive. And I think um, this is the most recent film, like, you know, Coraline and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas are classics. Um, we don't got to spend too long on the plot because a lot of people have seen it and know it. I think this one is the most recent one. So, because of that, I think it's a little bit more fair to be um, more critical of like, it because we're not preaching you know, to the choir. This one was a lot more divisive, I would say, than the last two. Um, maybe in the future people will view it differently, but right now I just think that the plot aspect had too many elements for it to really be a, co- a cohesive story. Like, on one hand, we had, um, so we had um, characters like Cat. We had um, characters like the principal, and you know we had Wendell and Wilde, their father. There was so much going on that is like these separate story elements were all supposed to play into one plot, but instead of cohe- like being cohesive at the end, it felt like there was just multiple different stories that didn't really fit together. I think we could have cut out a few of the threads to have a more a more, I don't want to keep using the word cohesive, a more unified story. And that would have made the film better in the end. But I did, like, I did like Kat a lot. Like, I really loved her character. Like, you know, the punk rock girl who was just like, I'm going to be my own person. I'm going um, to have to be tough because of the fact I lost both my parents and I need to, you know, survive in this world. But her being tough was often misconstrued as her being bad. And there was a really unique story there. But then we'll get into, like, you know, Cat walking through the halls, being this dope character, interacting with the world. Then it would jump to Wendell and Wilde planting hair inside of someone's head. Then it would jump to the principal trying to get money for the school. Then jump over to, um, to, um, this, what, what was, um, his name again? Raul. Raul trying to finish his painting and then the mother trying to it was just too much going on that we didn't really focus on the 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 core elements enough to me and then by the time we got to the end it was just like i really thought the last 30 minutes were fun but it was still a cohesive mess that the message that was trying to be told got lost in the source in a sense it would be like if Coraline was like okay we're not only going to tell the story of Coraline, but then we're going to show what the mother and father do for a living while they're going to work and then we're going to show these people trying to get back into the circus we're going to show um what was his name again why was you born babinski oh why born why born and what he does in his free times all the time and then you know it would if they showed all of that and then trying to incorporate Coraline's story as well it would have been too much versus this movie they tried to do all of that and it just felt like a lot yeah, I agree 100%. I like the fact that it was like a little black girl as the lead character in a stop motion animation. Because um, I feel like we don't get that very often, especially when it's just like punk rock or whatever. Yeah. Is that what? 
so we don't ever get that. Yeah. I think of a blank main character in the stop motion film off the top of my head. Unless it was like an indie film or something that maybe did it. Why Bourne was black? He's not the main character. Um, But yeah, her hairstyle, like all of those things were very cool. The artistic style was very cool, which we kind of knew going into it with it being a Henry Selleck movie. But I do agree. I feel like there were like six too many plot lines, you know, like they just kept adding more and more new things. So like, I feel like Wendell and Wild. I don't. Do you want to get into spoilers, or do you want to kind of talk about it spoiler free, since it is a fairly new movie? We can do spoiler free. Okay. Wendell and Wild. I feel like their motivations, while interesting, didn't feel like it had an act- enough actual payoff for me. You know, so it's kind of like, oh, we want to go to the living plane to do X, Y, and Z, and we can do it through this girl, but at the end of the day, it. I mean, I guess it was like supposed to be, there's like a moment that happens towards the end that's like a reconciliation or reconciliation, yeah, a reconciliation, but it didn't feel earned in a way. It felt like I saw a quote that said like, um, or an article that said Key and Peele ad-libbed a lot, of, a lot of their lines and they kind of built the rest of a lot of the stuff around that fact. And I could feel that. And I feel like, Ad-libbing isn't necessarily bad, like doing the um, thing where people are just saying lines or whatever. That can work a lot, and it has worked in a lot of movies. But I feel like in this case, it felt like they were trying to tell, like too, again, too many stories. And then because they're just kind of ad-libbing their, plot li- uh, their lines, and that's then probably built a plot line around the fact that they're ad-libbing all of these lines, it doesn't work as well when you're trying to tie it into Kat's story. And then I think... Raul was an interesting character, but Raul's story of the whole painting thing, it didn't feel like it paid off well enough. It felt like a little bit of a silly payoff. Um, the whole professor or the principal in his whole thing, that kind of felt like, again, another plot line too many. And then the nun and her whole, I was just like, there's so much going on in the movie. And I feel like it comes at the cost of getting to know Kat's character a little bit better. And I feel like the payoff for her character towards the end of the movie, I really liked the way they did that. I really liked the fact that, you know, everything that happened with her, she got, it's not really a spoiler, but she got her closure the way she needed. And I thought the the scene and how they animated that and how they did that for the stop motion, I really liked how they did that of her getting closure. But at the same time, I feel like I wish we got to know a little bit more about her um, I feel like, I don't know, were the Claxton just supposed to be like analogies for like Trump? Because the Claxton father, although he was black, his hair was giving me very much Donald Trump. Um, and I feel like their characters, the little subplot that they had, I'm like, okay, I wasn't expecting all of this from a kid's movie. You know, it's kind of an interesting subplot because that's something that's very true to real life, true to the world. But it was kind of like a little bit of a semi throwaway line. Like they were the main villains, but something about it again, they're the main villains. And then you also have like these demons and you also have this, the demons main villain. It just felt like, again, like a lot, like you said. Yeah. Hmm. Sorry. The audience is starting to kick in for me. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think that the Claxton, I feel like if you had it as one in a while, um, the Claxtons, Cat, 
and maybe the nun lady. You could have had a interesting dynamic between the four of them. Mm-hmm. That would have been more cohesive than everything that went on. I don't think you needed to add the janitor. Like he came out of nowhere. Um, I forgot to mention the nun when we were talking about it. Um, what's her? The, the daughter of the Claxtons. They kind of just threw her. Siobhan. Sharon. Siobhan. A lot of characters in this short amount of time. And I think that. Um, yeah, it, it was a lot of characters. And some of the things also didn't feel like they made sense. Like. What what Wendell and Wilde ended up doing when they came to the real world, I feel like that was just kind of, like, dumb. Like, I get Kat's motivation, but, like, the Claxon's motivation, how all of that worked out, didn't feel like you could go to any court in any world that, yeah. I guess, maybe in a world where you have demons, you can do that. But um, in any world, it doesn't feel like you could say, well, X, Y, and Z is why we're able to build, you know, our... Well, we can say that they were building prisons. It's why we're able to build our prison. I'm like, that. that's not how... I guess it's like a fantasy film, but at the same time, it's kind of like this is just, it's taking me out of it in not a fun way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Using a de- oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to spoil it. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying. I think that um, they were trying to show how the law is. Like I said, I'm saying all of this, I still give the movie like 8 out of 10. Like, I still enjoy it. I'd the- give it like a, a 6.5. Okay. I think that I'm a I'm a simple person, so if the art style I like, um, I heavily favor art style. I love the art style. I enjoyed Cat, so I think I enjoyed the film despite it having issues. I just think I went in with really high expectations. Like, say this was in Henry Selleck, and it was like, um, you know, Jonathan Smith's first directorial debut, and this was the film that they made. I would have been like, oh, this is a first grade attempt. Knowing that it's like mm-hmm. it's not a Coraline and Nightmare Before Christmas, it's like... And then Jordan Peele on top of that, because I know he collaborated probably more than just the voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say earlier is that a lot of people I know thought that this was Jordan Peele's film because they thought he was director because of the fact that, you know, when they showed the advertisements, it says, from the creative strange mind of Jordan Peele. It's like, well, she's Shani Selleck is the one that directed the film. And I think that mm-hmm. part of the reason why there's so much disconnect is that you have Jordan Peele... And Henry Selleck both trying to get their ideas out there. It just doesn't feel cohesive. Like, I feel like Henry Selleck, this older, you know, white gentleman, and Jordan Peele, who likes to get these social messages in his film, both try to do their thing. But because their things are so different, it just didn't feel cohesive. Versus someone like Tim Burton and Henry Selleck, it's like, they're pretty simple. They're going to make movies about be yourself. Like, that's an easy thing to be cohesive on versus the prison industrial complex the 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 Jubita prison pipeline, which is what Jordan Peele was trying to say, and I feel like Henry Selleck was trying to do his own thing with the magical world and stuff. So there was a lot of clashing ideas, clashing characters, and whatnot. But that being said, I still did enjoy the film enough to give it like an eight out of ten. Yeah, I feel like if you go into the film with, I want to say low expectations, but maybe tempered expectations. Yep. you might enjoy it more. I feel like going into it, I, I was the same way where I was like, oh, it looks really cool. It's like, again, like a black girl with her little Afro puff. There's like Jordan, uh, Key and Peele doing the voices. So it's going to be funny too. So it was kind of like a lot of expectations put upon it before I even saw it. And maybe that's part of why I didn't enjoy it as much as I anticipated. But I still feel that the criticism of 
there is just far too much going on in the movie is still a valid criticism. Like, I feel like you can still enjoy a movie even with there's too much going on, but I feel like because there was so much going on, it took away from some of the other um, aspects of the film. Yeah, I fully agree with you with that one, that it did take away from a lot of the aspects of the film. But I do think it's worth the watch just for the art style and the unique the uniqueness of the world that was created. They painted a very vivid picture of the world that had its own rules, its own um art style. It was a it was like a almost like an East Coast formerly factory town that it was abandoned and I think it's very um poignant in how they sh- show and utilize that. Even though the, every character had a line through their face, which was odd to me, but that was one thing that I yeah, it was kind of the art style. I was like, I literally went back to see if it was kind of similar to that in Coraline. And I feel like they had a little bit, but it wasn't as obvious yeah. as it was in this one. Was this one clay or was it figurines? I think it might have been figurines. It looks more like figurines then. Yeah. All right, Jabari, all right, do you have any final thoughts on Wendell and Wilde before we close out the episode? Um, I did enjoy the film. Like I said, I might be a little bit more favorable of it than a lot of people might be. I think that is worth seeing just for the art style. I think that um, when you go into animated films, you are a little bit more forgiving because of the fact that it's a visual art first that people either have to draw or build. So while the story is important, I think that you could be a little bit more forgiving than a realistic film, which is just camera angles, camera shots, lighting. I mean, the visual is still important. Like I'll tell the person to watch a okay visually stunning film but i will tell someone they could watch a bad visually stunning claymation film this movie wasn't bad claymation yeah claymation film and animation film in general um this movie wasn't bad i don't think that's fair but you know a six out of ten story with a nine out of ten art style for me would like that doesn't have it that's an eight out of ten but you know what i'm saying like it's it's worth seeing just for the visual art style and then the light elements of the themes that they had in there which i thought were great yeah, I would, again, I would say the same thing I said a second ago, which is just, I recommend it because, again, it's visually stunning, all of those things. Cool to see a little black girl in that role um, or in that world. And I still have just issues with the story, but, or not the story, but just the amount, how much they try to fit into the film. Yeah. Um, but with that, again, you know, go watch Coraline, Nightmare Before Christmas. If you want to see something a little bit weirder that traumatized Jabari, go watch James and the Giant Peach. Um, and then <laughs> uh, Wendell and Wilde is streaming on Netflix. So with that, thank you for listening to this week's episode of That Brooklyn Film Show. And we will be back soon. Thanks. Bye. Later.